You've heard of Patrick Lencioni, right? He's only the guy who seems like he's written over 100 million books. Now, did you know he has a consulting firm called The Table Group? And those first consultants working for him could literally sit around a small table. And one of those creative geniuses who got a seat at that table is Brian Jones, and he's an author himself. And we're going to hear his story this week. Welcome to CFO Audio Bookmarks, the voice for continued growth and learning for financial leaders. And now, your host, Mark Gandy. Everyone loves an origin story, whether it's learning the beginnings of Clark Kent, Bilbo Baggins, Tony Stark, or even Bruce Wayne. Origin stories, well, they inspire. For instance, Brian Jones, he's not always been a leading organizational health consultant. Right out of school, I, I started uh, teaching middle school history and English. And I'm telling you, if you can do that, you can do anything, I guess. But uh, one of the one of the, the parents of the students said, you know, you're you're a good teacher and I'm, all, I'm looking for corporate trainers and you should come do that. And it didn't involve having the summers off, but I, I still in I, I really enjoyed that. And that was with a Fortune 100 company at the time. And uh, and that's where I learned organization development. They sent me off to, uh, they were big on certifications. So every other week I was like in Omaha, Nebraska in a hotel boardroom getting different certifications. But I, I was learning a lot. And then uh, about that time, uh, Baptist Healthcare asked me to come and be director of people development. So it was a really cool place. They, uh, uh, Quint Studer was just kind of exiting to go start his own firm. And if you can pick up anything that Quint's ever written, you should do it. The, the culture there was just was just fantastic. So we started doing just a lot of interesting things. Some things that I knew from industry that maybe was a little new to healthcare. But there's a there's a uh, there's a, a culture of in, in healthcare that because it's not that competitive outside of your own market. Like if you're a hospital in St. Louis. You're not competing with a hospital in Florida. The expectation is that if you come up with something new, you should you should share it. And then the expectation back then was that you should probably give it away <laughs> for free, right? Because we're all just trying to to help. But I think Quint was at the vanguard of, hey, I think we can, I think people will pay for some of this, and and they'll gladly pay because it's making everyone better. And and so we just kind of piggybacked on that, and that's where I learned consulting. So we created a consulting firm out to, to healthcare, helping them improve operations, customer satisfaction, employee satisfaction. And I learned consulting the best way you can learn it, which is just packing a suitcase and getting out there and doing it. And I did that for uh, six or seven years. And it was absolutely fantastic. The only downside was it was all into one, in, one in industry. Patrick Lencioni is not the only person who has written a book. While Brian has not sold thousands, let alone millions of copies, it's a great business card to leave behind for his consulting prospects. Plus, the book has exceeded his and his co-author's wildest imaginations. So Pam and I were giving a speech, uh, a keynote speech on recognizing your people and trusting your people. And they can do cool things and they can do things that you could never imagine if you just found out what made them tick and let them do those things. Uh, we were get, we gave a like a sixty minute keynote on that, and a gentleman came up to us after the speech and said, "That should be a book," and we said, "Yeah, it should be." Uh, and he said, "Well, I'm a I'm an editor at Wiley. Let's do this." And we said, "So this is like 2007 or eight. I don't know." But uh, 
he said, I'm an editor at White Little. Let's do this. And we said, yeah, let's do this. And then we actually kind of forgot about it. And then when we got home from that speech in the mailbox was a contract to do the book and it had to be done. It had to, it had to be done in like 60 days. So if you read it, you'll probably be obvious that we wrote it in 60 days. <laughs> so we said, well, what if it was kind of our love letter to our clients, first of all, and just talking about things that we've seen them do? And then what if also it was a little bit of a, of a description of how we help organizations? So from those standpoints, yeah, it exceeded our wildest imagination. So how did Brian get started with the table group? After Patrick Lencioni published The Five Dysfunctions of a Team in 2002, the phone started ringing off the hook. Now, Patrick didn't want to build this massive consulting firm, but he still wanted a way to teach his concepts on a healthy business through other practitioners who got it. So he just asked uh, uh, people that, that, that he knew or people that pe- people who knew people that he knew <laughs> to, uh, to, to just fly his flag be uh, be be personally trained by him and 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 help him get the word out in ways that he just never could uh, himself. Brian, he gives kudos to the person who introduced him to Patrick's work. I owe my table affiliation to Pam Bilbury, and Pam is a co-author with me on Ordinary Greatness. She was president of the consulting firm that I worked in, and we've had a long friendship. And she read Five Dysfunctions of a Team and said, "This is amazing." and uh, called the office and started a conversation. I also think she was exposed to some consulting that he did on a board that she was on. Uh, The table group, maybe not a name that maybe Don Draper or Seth Godin or David Ogilvie would come up with. So are we talking about a kitchen table, a board table? But don't let the name fool you. I mean, our first, yeah, our, our, our first meeting was at like a, you know, kitchen table size. It was, hey, here's some tools. Go out and find some people that could use this. If we hear of anybody that needs help, we'll we'll, we'll do it as well. But uh, I just started taking it to my healthcare clients. Uh, it being organizational health. So you think about like I think we're going to get into this later. But the the smart side and the healthy side. And prior to meeting Patrick, all my consulting was on the smart side. Speaking of Patrick, I'm sure Brian gets this question a lot. He is completely incapable of pretense. He just, yeah, he, he cannot put on airs or pretend to be something that he's not. Complete authenticity. And that's the whole getting naked part is, like, he, he does that with clients at high risk, right? But high reward. Um, and he has just pushed me and shown me that consultants should be doing more of that and uh, getting, getting out, of, out, out of the comfort zone. Okay, he's a great writer. He can push great people like Brian to new heights. So what's his unique talent? We know he can write. Is that it? This way of taking very simple concepts, making them even simpler, and while doing that, making them more profound. So usually to make something more profound, you have to make it more complicated. Uh, You have to put it out to levels that are kind of blow people's minds. But he does the opposite, and he's the only person I've ever met that can do it with that kind of ability. It's, it's, It's impossible to bottle. Brian's first clients were in healthcare. There's a big difference between working on marketing, sales, operational, or financial issues. People issues? How does that work? You know, I, I would go into these, these hospital clients, and I would quickly see that the issue that they hired us to solve was the symptom of a lack of health or coordination. So, like, like how, for example, how are you going to fix, like, customer satisfaction in a hospital, patient satisfaction 
an environment where the the chief doctor and the chief nurse don't like each other. They've told their people not to work well together. And, you know, how in the world can you fix that in a really systemic way? Brian has now opened the door to explaining the difference between the smart part of the business and the healthy part. There's the smart side of business. Everybody has got to master these. And that would be strategy, marketing, finance, technology, the decision sciences. Like in in a hospital, you have to know, you know, your 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 payer mix, your case mix, your strategic plan, what's your market like, uh, 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 certificates of need, all these things are critical. You've got to get that stuff right. Uh, you'll go out of business if you don't. We found though that that was there was so much help in those areas, so many degrees you could get, so many books, so much learning. Uh, so much ability in those areas that when organizations failed, it was rarely because of those. I didn't leave clients that ended up not being, I, I never left a client saying, well, they're just too dumb. You know, they seem to get more l- initials after their name. <laughs> so we, we found that the, the multiplier of smarts is, is health. And we define health as, you know, minimal politics, minimal confusion, high morale, low turnover of good people and and high productivity. And whenever an organization would not be successful, the business press would write it up like, well, they were just too stupid. And we'd say, no, they're MIT grads, a lot of accomplished people. Why couldn't they, why couldn't they win? It was almost always, when you do autopsies, almost always back to a lack of health. Like read, you know, Colin's book, what is it, How the Mighty Fall, right? You know, I looked at good to great companies who went out of business. Like they weren't stupid. They weren't dumb. Uh, he, he traced a lot of it back to unhealthy practices. Okay, Brian. So a healthy business is all about minimizing politics and confusion. It's about high morale, low turnover of good people, and high productivity. I want to hear about the leader who will embrace this way of running a business. Yeah, I think there's a certain kind of person. You know, we, we always say like we're not objective. You know, we're we're we have a point of view, and it is that if you embrace leader, if you embrace the health of your team and the organization, it will pay off in ways that you can never imagine. And the scarier it is, probably the more likely you have to run to it. This CFO is more smart centric than healthy centric. We like data. We like evidence to support claims. So, Brian, I want to hear a success story. Here's what uh, a, a client of mine told me is that uh, if there's 20 businesses, 16 of them are probably really, really struggling and very terrified and scared. Three of them are probably, I think we're going to be okay, and one is probably thriving. And the one that I called um, – or that call that, that called me last night is one of the ones that's thriving. So some market conditions change to where they have they're working harder than ever, and their budget's top line is two x than what they thought it would be six weeks ago. She told me, "We're all working from home. We're working twice as hard. Uh, I can't imagine if this had happened before we really started down the organizational health path." we would have, well, everyone else is starving to death, we would have choked to death because she can't look over everybody's shoulder. They have to have some real conflict about opportunities. They 
prior to this, they were probably saying yes to most things because they just needed to get the revenue. Now it's, we have to say no to some things and which do we say yes? They have to have real conflict. They have to be accountable to each other. They have to be fully committed to the direction. Great story, Brian, but I wanna hear more. Tell us about this leader, the CEO. It can't be this easy, right? If you're in the office with her, it's a hundred ideas a day. She processes by verbalizing and people didn't know how to keep up with that. It was kind of wearing them out. Oh, and they didn't know how to distinguish the idea that's maybe half-baked versus the one that she just thought of 10 seconds ago versus the one that she's really ready to execute on. And just spending a couple hours on two things, the wiring of each person, whatever tool you use, like a Myers-Briggs disc, understanding that people behave as who they are. And then also understanding how, what people's story is. So I've asked uh, over 10,000 executives to tell their coworkers what was unique or interesting about growing up the way they did. And you don't have to be a psychotherapist to see the links <laughs> to, uh, you know, Mark and Bruce. I mean, that stuff, stuff that happened to us as kids, it imprints. And, and whenever people start to understand like, oh, there's, there's some personality stuff here. There's some just ways people grew up and there's some predictable ways that people are going to show up and it's nothing to do with them trying to annoy me. Trust just really, really, really blossoms. It's also using that to have good conflict and good debate and have great meetings. Oh my gosh, meetings. How we love meetings, right? Unlike many meetings we hate going to, Brian's best clients attend huddles. But take note of when these take place. In the case of this organization, when their meetings go from not real good to really good, and then they have to go into a virtual environment, they're equipped. So this is this is uh, they, they started. We recommend a huddle, right? And and they just started huddling every day at five o'clock before they left. Like, hey, real quick huddle. What happened today? What's happening tomorrow? They've been able to keep that going through this time and and. It's great for them. All these opportunities that come their way, at the end of the day, they can just kind of inventory them. Like many of us using financials and scorecards to track and predict performance, Brian can tell you a lot about a company's performance by observing their meetings. And I'd see a nurse on 3 West had very high scores, a nurse on 2 West had very low scores, and there's just about 10 feet of concrete between, you know, like, like what, what's different? And I would just, I, I just showed up and said, hey, can I watch you put on scrubs and can I watch you work? And, and here's the, I, I didn't see a lot different, but one thing I noticed is that at the high performing ones, at the end of the shift, they would gather before they went home and just talk about what, what happened that day. It allowed them to just leave it there and allow them to have some closure, allow them to process, allow them to become a team. And you think about everything a nurse sees in a shift. And it was just shocking to me that everyone didn't do that. Like, just say, hey, this was hard, or this was great, or this was weird. <laughs> but that was early on, early on when I got into healthcare. I just saw the value of that. All right, Brian, I want to hear the recipe for the perfect huddle. No agenda, no one sits down, don't take attendance. Can you just carve out 10 minutes a day and just tell us what you're doing? And then if we see that you need help or that there's an area of the business that needs help, we can quickly pivot over to that. So even, even if you're just interested in the smart side, it's got great benefits. Like how in the world can you be a good business 
if one side of the business one side of the business could be trying to grow something that the other side of the business is trying to eliminate and you would never know we slowly switched gears with Brian by pivoting from CEOs to financial leaders like CFOs, VPs of finance, controllers, and directors of FPNA. We were never really taught healthy practices in school, but we need this message too, right? If the CFO's approach is, look, everybody do your job. If you do it well, I'll pay you more. If you don't, I'll fire you. I really don't care what you think. Just show up and, and do what I tell you then yeah, we don't have any magic beans. And people aren't, aren't going to trust that leader and that leader is not going to trust others. And eventually good people will leave. And But if there's a if, if there's a finance leader who says, look, I, don't, I didn't get into this just to have sharper pencils and spreadsheets that line up a little bit better. I, I got into this to have a great place for people to do what they do. And I got into this to be the best that I can be at it. And the only way I'll do that is if I get some feedback I got into this to work with people that I trust. I got into this to make good decisions. And the only way that will come is if we have a little bit of debate when we need to. And I got into this to get results with a team, not just myself. Then they will embrace this. And so will their team. But it comes down to a leader who's willing to be vulnerable, willing to be naked, term we used before, and say, I don't have all the answers. And uh, here's what one, one, one leader told me two days ago, said, uh, you know, it's real important. This is a finance leader. He said, you know, it's real important, Brian, that I'm not the smartest person on the team. I can't be. Admit weaknesses? Me? Us? That may be the hardest advice I have ever heard from someone like Brian. Man, I don't know if this is harder for finance people than others. You, you would know. Uh, I really wouldn't know. Ask for help. Admit weakness. Bring people in on things where you may be expected to be the expert. Collectively search for answers together collectively have debate, be willing to be wrong. That is the hardest thing for leaders. Instead, they're often told in business school, take it till you make it and never let him see a sweat. We wrapped up the interview with Brian by asking, now what? Brian recommends by starting with the Table Group's website as there are many free resources on their site. If you've never read a Lencioni book, Brian's favorite is The Advantage. My favorite, or one of them, is the ideal team player. And Bruce Reed, he loves the five dysfunctions of a team. By the way, I do want to thank my co-host, Bruce Reed, the CFO of PracticeLink, who helped pull out many of Brian's key insights during this discussion. And the next week, we'll be visiting with Ben Lamort, who is an expert on OKRs, and he's the author of Objectives and Key Results. I'm Mark Gandy with CFO Bookshelf.